Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Rhino Podcast, brought to you by Rhino Records. Interviews with your favorite artists and bands about the songs and albums you love. Here's your host, Rich Mayhan. On this episode of the Rhino Podcast, we have part two of our conversation with Soul Music Authority David Nathan and Rhino A&R Director Patrick Milligan to discuss Aretha, the upcoming career-spanning Aretha Franklin box set. Come on, help me sing this. gentlemen welcome back to the rhino podcast we are joined by john hughes john how are you today i am good rich how are you doing doing just fine thanks spring has sprung everything is beautiful outside and we have great news to share with everybody don't we i think it's really good news because first off the Joni mitchell archive series is continuing with new remasters of her first four albums to celebrate blues 50th anniversary now, the reprise albums, 1968 to 1971, has these newly remastered versions of all of these albums, Song to a Seagull, Clouds, Ladies of the Canyon, and of course, Blue, which was recently named the number three album on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. That's amazing. Nice, nice company to be in, right? Yeah. And if you pre-order the CD or LP versions of the Reprise Albums box from JoniMitchell.com, you'll also get an exclusive limited edition 7x7 print of the self-portrait that is featured on the cover art. Also, the first ever line of official Joni Mitchell merchandise is just launched. That's all at JoniMitchell.com. It's got apparel and even home goods. Just a reminder that the 4CD, 4LP, and digital versions of the box set are available June 25th, from JoniMitchell.com and Rhino. Of course, Volume 1 of the archives came last year, and this is kind of a nice sort of rest stop in between the next archives, which is also coming later this year. Yep, it's a whole series, so here's number two. Also just announced is Chicago at Carnegie Hall Complete. We know you guys love Chicago, so you're going to love this. They are revisiting their best-selling live album with a 16-CD deluxe set, that features all eight shows from their historic 1971 Carnegie Hall concert series, plus replicas of three posters included in the original, excerpts from the concert program, and more. Chicago founding member and trumpeter Lee Lochnane and engineer Tim Jessup spent nearly a year meticulously going through more than 40 concert tapes, and they remastered each concert. Their hard work paid off with eight fantastic-sounding shows. The pre-order is live now, and it is exclusively only on rhino.com 
and it comes out July 16th. Can't get it anywhere else but rhino.com. 1971 really that's when that band was firing on all cylinders they're still fantastic live they are but come on 71 the classic lineup terry kath on guitar danny on drums it's i can't wait to hear this it's gonna sound great it is primo chicago (laughs) yes it is john thank you very much thanks rich we'll see you soon all right well the career spanning box set aretha is coming out this summer it's available for pre-order now at rhino.com and it's chock full of great music from this musical icon aretha franklin this four cd and digital collection dedicated to the queen of soul features 81 tracks including 19 previously unreleased alternate versions demos rarities and special live performances there's also a brand new eight episode anthology series out now produced by national geographic entitled genius aretha about aretha's life and career and it's available to stream now on hulu david nathan noted british soul music historian and patrick milligan a and r director at rhino worked together on the creation of this upcoming aretha box set And we all sat down for a discussion about this expansive release, Aretha's career, and this episode is part two of our conversation. We pick it up where we left off, talking about how Aretha worked with her band. toured you just mentioned that king curtis helped with musical direction for you know that and i assume for the live at the fillmore west band as well since he was a part of that but did she use a musical director frequently or did she get her hands dirty with the arrangements no she had a musical director even up to the last performances she did in later years it was hb barnum i mean obviously they took their cue from what she was telling them to do sure (laughs) sure i don't think in other words she wasn't I think of a musical director as someone who's like, you know, working with the band. She, she didn't, I don't think she did all that. But in the studio, of course, as, as Patrick and I, we both, we both talked about, and Patrick can also probably say some more about this too. You know, on, on those early Atlantic albums, she is in the studio, the musical director. She is definitely driving the rhythm section by virtue of being the person playing the piano and really yeah. creating what the other musicians are doing. Well, that, that's the unique thing about a piano, isn't it? Being a very melodic instrument, but it's also a percussive instrument. So you work both yeah. sides of the band with it. It's great. Aretha has jazz singer level chops. She's able to sing each note so perfectly in tune. And as I was listening to this box set, this hit me several times in certain songs. And she's able to sing complex melodies, including half-step intervals that are so precise it reminds me of a piano. How much do you think mastering piano herself helped her with the precision qualities of her vocals? Patrick, I'll give you, give you that one. It's an interesting question. I mean, I think it has to have some effect for sure. I think that being a musician informs 
your singing. I mean, you're just a more complete musician, and I think they're they're definitely bound together. And I think particularly with piano because it's such a a visual instrument in terms of being able to see melodies linearly and and chords and things like that that you become very aware of that kind of stuff and it probably did i would think enhance her sort of ability to hear those intervals and notes and just understand harmony and everything so i think absolutely yeah as i said a couple of the female artists in particular that would be contemporaries of aretha at least by the late 60s nina simone and roberta flack are the first two that come to mind mm -hmm. but again by virtue of uh, the three of them being able to play piano for Nina and Roberta in particular was even more of a dominant aspect of what they would, well, that's arguable. For both of them, there was an important integral part of what they did in performance as well as on record. And I think that that's what sets the three of them apart from uh, a lot of the other uh, uh, artists of that time, uh, the fact that they could do that. Uh, because there's an, an incredible amount of freedom in being able to, uh, in, in live performance, but also in the studio to be able to work out a melody and to use the keyboard because you have the skill of that and you're not dependent on someone else to interpret how you want a song to go. I mean, I think one of the classic examples of this on this box set is the track Somewhere. I mean, to me, if anyone asks me, what do I consider to be the most, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite, but really, her performance on this particular take of Somewhere, which is not an unknown song, it's, it's incredible. And, and particularly because we hear her working it out and we hear her playing the piano. And that, that piano solo on that particular recording, on that particular take, is just, we needed nothing else to demonstrate her, her virtuosity as a musician. I think that because there's almost no other accompaniment on it. This gives you the whole, the whole thing. totally agree with that and, I, and just to kind of circle back on what you were saying rich about her jazz chops as a singer that track really shows her jazz chops as a piano player too i mean we're talking that she's a spectacular piano player and very informed by gospel and but when you hear her stretch out on that track you hear that she has some pretty you know formidable improvisational skills too so it's impressive yeah. Well, and, and that track is from Hey Now, Hey, The Other Side of the Sky, which is the 1973 release where Aretha and Quincy Jones finally got to work together. It surprises me that it took that long for them to actually work together. It seems like, you know, two greats like that probably would have naturally gravitated towards a collaboration before that. But what was their approach with this album? What did they want to try to get done that they hadn't done before uh, separately? Well... One of my favorite subjects, right, Patrick? Hey, now, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, to put it in context, uh, at that point, while Quincy Jones might have been known and was known as a composer and, and someone who worked very, very much in the film world, 
and had also had success with different artists. He wasn't the Quincy Jones who became much more of a phenomenon, so to speak, in a mainstream sense until, you know, working with Michael Jackson and the Brothers Johnson and so on later in the decade of the 70s. So, so it, it, to put it in context, at that point, Quincy wasn't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a comparison. Who, who, who is he not? He wasn't Stevie Wonder, shall we say. Sure. So he, although people within the music industry knew who he was, I don't know that Quincy Jones was a household name. As a producer, particularly, maybe Curtis Mayfield would have been more so at that point. But anyway, so I digress. Quincy Jones was actually the first producer to work with Aretha, other than her Atlantic crew, you know, Jerry Wexler, Arif Martin, and Tom Dowd. How that came about, I think it was more Aretha. She wanted to do something different. You know, she just wanted the opportunity to, to, to do something. And I don't know who suggested Quincy Jones or how that came about. It was a really interesting collaboration. Personally, if I put the whole of all her work with Quincy Jones together, some of which is on this box set that hasn't been heard before, I think it's some of her finest work because it really does give you a kind of insight into her uh, creativity. I don't actually know how much Quincy Jones had to do with the actual like producing, producing part. Because she does play the piano on pretty much all those uh, all those Quincy Jones uh, recordings that she did with him, I, I think she's the primary keyboardist on, on on pretty much all of them. So probably, you know, like any producer would have to work with Aretha. You know, he had to kind of I don't know if he reined her in. But presumably, he did all the arrangements and everything too. Which oh, you would assume why, so. Yeah. Yeah, and part of why she probably wanted to work with him. And I, it seems to me too that there was a bit of an intention to do a record that was more jazz oriented too. And that's, yeah. you know, probably part of the reason that she, she made the choice to work with him as well. So, One thing we also should note is that when uh, Jerry Wexler said, oh, you know, kind of signed off on it, so to speak, he expected from what I recall them to come back with a record that was, that would also have lots of hits on it. <laughs> and he was a little bit dismayed. They recorded quite a lot of songs for that album that were never released at the time. Some of them have already been released subsequently on different uh, on a particular CD set, and we've put a couple on here. But there's a, it wasn't quite, I think, what Jerry Wexler expected because there was a whole kind of gamut of different songs and everything from, you know, Somewhere to Leonard Cohen's Suzanne to, you know, some original Aretha songs, some of which are quite amusing like The Boy From Bombay, which is on here. Just thought of a tune called The Boy From Bombay I ain't got no idea what I am gonna say A melody of something that I feel Wondering if this tune is really real Feel it, just sing to yourself about The Boy From Bombay Feels kind of close, but it's actually you know what I love? I'm just going to say this for the record, so to speak. Uh, when I was working with Patrick on this, but let me say working with Patrick on this has been absolutely a joy. I mean, really, really great. And, um, you know, we had to go back and forth about choosing some things. But one of the funny things is I, t- I 
finally listened to the whole of The Boy from Bombay. And at the end of it, because we don't, she even, the, the lyrics, she doesn't even know what the song's about. She says, I don't even, you know, the opening lyrics are like, uh, I'm singing a song about the boy from Bombay. I don't really know what the song's about. Or she's just got something like that. And at the end, it's gotten into this groove and she says, I'm going to give that to the DJs. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. it's just, yeah. Nice. Another insight into Aretha's thinking. Yeah, yeah. And Angel, written by, Aretha's, by, written by Aretha's sister Carolyn, yielded another number one hit for her off of that record. So Jerry got at least one hit off that one. Yeah, and Master of Eyes, which was not on the album, but was a, a single, was also a Grammy winner. And I, I had to say- Well, there was one other thing I want to say about, uh, you mentioned Angel, Rich, yeah. and, and, and the, one of the things that, again, working with Patrick was a really great opportunity to um, work with him and also with Bill Englot, who did a lot of the work on, uh, you know, with us uh, uh, from, uh, from an audio standpoint. The version of, uh, of Angel that's on here is basically a work tape. So it's not the final recording. It's not the final vocal. What I love about it is, is you really, again, you hear Aretha and her essence, you know, working through the song, working it out. And, uh, and those kind of little touches, I, th- I think, are really crucial for, particularly for people who followed her for a long time. And they give, they give you an insight into the, which we almost never got at the time, into how she, her creative process. Nobody knows where to turn, so I have to do the speaking And I get ready to turn. I got a call the other day. It was my sister Carolyn saying, Stop by, Aretha, when you can. I've got something I want to say. I have to second what David is saying, that it's really been great to work together on this project. I think David and I have known each other for, gosh, 25 years or more. And At least, we've, yeah, we've worked yeah. on several projects together. And, and we had sort of this grand plan to do this huge, complete Aretha Atlantic box set for Handmade, which David and I were working on. And David started doing all this vault research to find extra material. And then kind of the Warner Music Group was sold and everything changed. But um, so it's just, it's something that, you know, parts of that got salvaged for the rarity set that was probably, what, 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was a chance to kind of come back together after both of us had sort of left the rhino orbit a bit and come back and get back to Aretha and get to do, you know, some fashion of something that we, we had embarked mm-hmm. on a long time ago. So... Yeah, David and I are. It's it it, it feels like a, an accomplishment. Like you know, Absolutely. we got back and we got the, we got the band back together and we got to do some yes, we ultimate we did. release. Yes, I mean, yeah. and, and the other thing is that you know we don't want to gloss over the fact that uh, 
I think you mentioned this at the beginning of the conversation, Richard. You know, there's so many special performances on this box set. And I have to really, again, you know, full kudos to Patrick and to all the people at Rhino who ensured that we got the audio for certain TV performances or, or live performances that people have never heard. They've never had access to, like Aretha and, and Smokey Robinson singing Ooh Baby Baby on Soul Train. I mean, that's like... That's, that's one of my favorite tracks on the set. I, I, honestly, every time I hear that song, it makes me tear up, the two of them singing. Really? It's, it's, it's so incredible. Yeah. And they kind of make the comment, we should have been an act. He's like, why didn't they make a record together? That would have been so amazing. I'm I think Aretha, I hope she'll forgive me, and Smokey will probably, if he ever sees this, will probably smile. I think Aretha might have had a, just a tiny little of a crush on Smokey. Just a little, little, little crush. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of comes through in the way she's singing. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah, can hear that. Like it's affectionate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's part of what, so, I mean, just their voices blend. They're both such great singers. It's such a great song but i think you you hit on the thing it's like there's there's this emotional sort of attachment between them that just really comes through on that and yeah when you see the performance the way they look at each other and, oh yeah and again with aretha on piano just really setting right. the basis for the track and this is just a weird little geeky thing but i love just the, the informal aspect of it to the point that you can even hear Aretha's fingernails on the piano keys. It's just kind of very beautiful. That kind of detail, you know what I mean? That really adds something else to it. It's like, I agree. It makes it really human. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're there. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that leads me to this. There's, there's so many great duets on this collection too. Not just great live performances, but great live duets. Yeah. The Tom Jones one is real standout. That's super cool. But I mean, the duet singing, it takes as much listening as vocalizing to make it work. So obviously, you know, and that's something you don't think about on the surface, but obviously she must have been really great at taking this information she was getting from her duet partner and instantly figuring out exactly how to best mesh with it. People generally fall into two camps. Those who think that Dionne Warwick's version of Say a Little Prayer is the best and those that think that Aretha's is the best. I don't want to start a fight, so I'm not going to pick sides. But hearing them sing it together on this box is so cool. It's monumental. I mean, it's it's just cool that they did it. And it's cool that people get to hear that. But it's also interesting, I think, because I, I agree, even in my own mind, which one is better. They both have, I mean, I'm a huge Burt Backrack fan. And sure. anything that Burt produced and arranged has a certain, you know, brilliance to it yeah. that makes Dion's record brilliant but what aretha did to that song she made it her own and it's you know it's a very different arrangement a very different take on it and again very gospelly but what's interesting about the, the duet version is that the arrangement pulls in elements of both of those things and it's interesting yeah. to hear them kind of mixed up together oh yeah 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 absolutely the juxtaposition right there it's like 
you always compare them in your head, but then being able to hear them actually sing together is really kind of amazing. Yeah, it's like a mashup almost. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the video? Have you seen the a clip of uh, the actual clip of them of it, Patrick? Oh yeah, uh huh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the dynamics between the two of them on screen. I, I'm glad we have the audio. I mean, yeah. not, nothing wrong with the video, but I think the audio by itself is, is fine. Yeah, uh, you know, but it is interesting, and and part of that interesting. is just the you're sort of you know inferring that the the sort of potential conflict between them and it's interesting me to for me to think and maybe david you have some background on this how that came about and yeah. what the vibe of it was like that they both agreed to do that because there is a lot of competitiveness between the two of them i mean i like we'll yeah, get into that now well, side of it but yeah yeah well the, the, the few things firstly uh, the reason that that, that that they were there together is because uh, dion was the host of solid gold yes exactly yeah. as simple as that right. she had different guests on and uh, I f believe on the same episode, although I'm not 100 percent sure, um, Aretha did also did a, did a solo segment right. on the same show. But they still had to be talked into that somehow, and that either just, one of them were is kind of say, amazing. How would you like to be the producer that was tasked with yeah. pitching it to both of them? <laughs> yeah, because they both probably went. I got to figure they both initially went. Mm, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I don't know, but, but uh, so so let me give you a little insight, uh, just a tiny little insight. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah as Dion was the host of the program, and it was a successful TV series, you know, I'm sure she had a lot to do with being okay with Aretha being on there. Second thing is their actual relationship as performers. Aretha remembers, Aretha has commented, and Dion has too, about how they would be sometimes on different shows together back in the 60s, particularly around Walk On By, the time of Walk On By. In fact, Aretha recorded Walk On By on her Running Out of Fools album for Columbia, so there was already some connection. And if you follow Aretha's career, a recording career, you'll find that she did on several occasions record songs associated with Dion and Burt Backrack, Hal David songs. Some of them, she brought a, a, an interesting interpretation to like April Fools and later on, you'll never get to heaven and different things that didn't always work from my perspective. But however... I don't think they were competitive in the way that people might have wanted them to be. They were distinct. But I think there was more a mutual respect. I do think that that was there. Uh, although I, I have to say that I, I, I was wondering how the Dion Aretha duet would look when I knew that she was going to be on there. And it looked kind of how I expected it to. You don't see much of them looking at each other. Not really. Well, also, it's not a song that you can sing to another. It would be weird. Yeah. Just sing to each other because of the lyrics. Right. I mean, well, I think weird. Yeah. Part of the part of what maybe would create a little bit of like, mm, is that they both had competing hits with that song pretty close together. Exactly. So I'm sure for Dion, it's like, you've covered my song and had a hit with it. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> maybe later. I don't know that immediate moment, but yeah. Yeah. Well, because it, 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 in fact, even at that time, 
it was still more, although Aretha had had a hit with it, and it was very different. I, I think it's only in later years that Aretha's version of the song is considered to be the definitive version by most mainstream audiences who may never have even heard Dion's version. I, I think Dion's version tends to, with hindsight, appear to be more of a period piece, where yeah. I think that Aretha's tends yeah. to sound more You're universal. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, hers, yeah, the Aretha version is more timeless. I, I would yes. agree with that. Yeah. As much as I love the Dion version. I agreed. Yeah. Totally agreed. And I, the Dion version is the Backrack version. You know what I mean? It's a, Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just part of that whole Backrack sound. So it's, it's right. important and, and part of it, too. And do you guys both know the, the genesis of the lyric? I do, do. not. Oh, oh, you do? You do? Okay. We're 50-50 here. Okay. All right. With it, that how David wrote the lyrics, and it was really uh, around the time of the Vietnam War, and it was really about, um, you know, the, the, why it became so, such an important record for servicemen, American servicemen in Vietnam, was that it was really, if you listen to the lyric, you know, uh, it is whoever the person is, uh, uh, you know, who's been left behind, you know, saying, uh, you know, I say a little prayer for you. It really is, that is the context of the song. And Aretha has made it timeless because, of course, people wouldn't necessarily even know that that's really what the song is about. Interesting. There's so much amazing material on this, and it roughly moves chronologically through her career here. And you get to the fourth disc, and there's a great example of Aretha's ability to not only cover a song convincingly, but also make it her very own, which, Patrick, you alluded to that with a different song earlier. She covers Rolling in the Deep by Adele. And I love how it quotes Ain't No Mountain High Enough in the middle of it. And it's almost as if she's subtly or not so subtly saying, Adele, honey, your car drives on my road. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love that. That's a great way of putting it, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> what, it was, what was it about her to reinterpret a song and just instantly make it sound like Aretha? A lot of it is just her very distinct vocal style. And she's just, you know nobody can replicate that it's just it's completely her and completely identifiable immediately and to some extent and I, I think probably as as her recording career went on and maybe david can speak to this i think her her piano contributions were less and less so i think the records were probably driven a little bit more by producers and arrangers and things but um you know i think it's just it's that voice because even on the that the Adele track, the arrangement's pretty similar to the original record, right? But vocal is just you know it's like you're saying it's like okay, well, there's some amount of inspiration from me in this track, so I'm reclaiming it. The I would add about her interpretive skills. I think even from the very beginning of me hearing Aretha back in the first song I heard, it was in 1965. And the first album I actually heard was this aforementioned Running Out of Fools, which is mostly covers of hits of that time. Barbara Lynn's You Lose a Good Thing, Mockingbird, Ines and Charlie Fox, um, and of course Dion's uh, Walk On By. 
And even in those songs, you can hear that she, I think part of Aretha's gift or art is her ability to find something in the lyric and then own it. Because if you compare, I mean, she just finds something that she can relate to or find something in there that it becomes Aretha-ized, so to speak. You know, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like once she puts a stamp on something, you can't really go back. And, like we take respect. I mean, that's the perfect example. You know, she turned a decent Otis Redding song into a, an anthem. Yes. That's a rare gift to be able to take, to find, almost like find herself in the lyric. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. in other words, find something that she connected to in lyrics, uh, and then they become they become like Aretha songs. Yeah, right. Another one, and maybe another one of her most famous covers, and it was at the end of her career. And the thing, there's a lot that amazes me about this song that we're about to talk about, but she never lost a drop of her amazing talent. And at the Kennedy Center Honors in 2015, she sings, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman in front of Carole King. And she brings down the house. And on top of it, it's just a complete encapsulation of Aretha's abilities because she starts out playing piano as well. And it brings Carole King to tears. It's just an absolutely magnificent performance. I'm just blown away every time I watch it. I'm so glad it's on this set. Did you guys feel like you the same way? Did you just have to include it? Yeah, I think at some point we were even toying, or Rhino and Patrick and, and company were toying with the idea of calling it a natural woman, a whole box set. But really, I think that that performance is just, I don't think there's, I don't really have words for it. I mean, it just really... You know, the song was really written for her, in a sense. And in the liner notes, which I had the opportunity and, and great privilege to, some of the line notes, I did one essay and the, there's another essay from Rochelle Riley. You know, is it, the story of how Jerry Wexler is in, either walking down the street, Broadway, and, and Carol King and Jerry Goffin, uh, then husband and songwriting partner. And he calls and says, oh, I'm, I'm, I need a hit for Aretha. And the next thing we know, you make me feel like a natural woman. And so, in a sense, it was written for her. And I think it's a really fitting way to end the box set because it really does. It just is so every piece of the emotion, passion, her unbridled, just just letting go, just 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 just. It's kind of like the rawness of of the emotion is so um, real for people. Mm -hmm. um, and what a better way to end a box set. really grateful that Patrick and everyone at Rhino worked to make that happen. Yeah. To make sure that got included. Yeah. Was that her last television appearance? Yeah, it was her last television appearance. Yeah, she, was, was she also on, there was an, an Elton John AIDS benefit that she was at. I don't know if that was televised. 
televised. I think it was. I don't think it was televised. I don't think so. Think she was quite, at that point, she was quite ill. Yeah. So I don't think it was televised as far as I know. But what an amazing way to bookend a career. I mean, it's just a, it's a standout performance. There's no doubt about it. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. A lot of fun talking about this new Aretha box set. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Rich. And that Kennedy Center performance of Natural Woman gets me every time. Make sure to watch that on YouTube if you haven't seen it yet. It's absolutely magnificent. Thanks again to David Nathan and Patrick Milligan for their insight and all of the hard work they put into this wonderful new box set, Aretha. Check that out and pre-order at rhino.com. Make sure to catch Genius Aretha, the highly anticipated series starring double Oscar nominee Cynthia Erivo as the Queen of Soul. Genius is National Geographic's critically acclaimed anthology series that dramatizes the fascinating stories of the world's most brilliant innovators and their extraordinary achievements. This third season explores Aretha Franklin's musical genius and incomparable career, as well as the immeasurable impact and lasting influence she's had on music and culture around the world. Genius Aretha is the first ever definitive and only authorized scripted series on the life of the universally acclaimed Queen of Soul. All eight episodes are now available to stream on Hulu. Take care, folks. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much for tuning in. Don't forget to listen and subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss the next Rhino podcast. Producer for Rhino Entertainment, John Hughes. Produced for Rhino Entertainment by Rich Mayhem Promotions. All rights reserved. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.